we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Since when are foreigners more important than Americans? I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. Over the last 12 months, the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, as they call it, encountered some 3 million people illegally crossing the southern border. The United States is a large and generous country, but the immigration issue has many ramifications. The psychological and actual damage to black and brown legal residents is incalculable. American citizens are living on the streets while illegal immigrants are being housed. Since Biden took office, 425,000 unaccompanied alien children crossed the border. We're paying millions to babysit them in our schools. Teachers are at their wits' end as they try to teach an onslaught of students who can't speak a word of English. But don't despair. Governor Gavin Newsom of my home state, California, signed a bill to teach teachers how to teach illegal aliens. What about our already failing American students? Black students are performing horribly. I guess blacks have outlived their usefulness. Their vote is in the bag. Illegal aliens are the new oppressed persons of interest. And what about the criminals? New criminals crossing and previously incarcerated illegal aliens aren't always deported. Well, my guest today, Andy Schlafly, is a friend of the show. He wrote an article highlighting some effects of illegal immigration on employment, among many other things, We'll talk about this and, you know, Andy, anything else that crosses our minds. Andy Schlafly is general counsel to the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. He received his bachelor's in electrical engineering and certificate in engineering physics from Princeton. I'm sure he's curling his hair over what's happening with his alma mater these days. After graduating from Princeton, he briefly worked as a device physicist for Intel and then became a microelectronics engineer at Johns Hopkins. He then attended Harvard Law School, another alma mater that's become cringeworthy, along with our past president, Barack Obama. And for two years, Mr. Schlafly was the editor of the Harvard Law Review. He's now created the Wiki-based Conservapedia to counter the apparent liberal bias in Wikipedia. Welcome back to the show, Andy Schlafly. Thank you, Marilyn. It's such a joy to be on your show, and I always learn a great deal whenever well, I'm honored from your comments, so thank you. <laughs> well, we learn a great deal from you. Well, you recently wrote an article that was about the effect of illegal immigration on the workforce. But before we get to that, I just 
I just have to say, given what's happened with the terrorist attacks in Israel, who have a strong border, I think this whole border issue takes on a whole new level of importance. And so we'll get into all those levels. But first, let's talk about your article. What about the workforce? Marilyn, average Americans are having trouble finding good jobs. And of course, there's some low-end jobs that are going unfilled. But if you look closely at the jobs report, and we just had one at the end of August and again at the end of September, we see that many American-born workers are being laid off or they left their jobs because they weren't making enough, the jobs weren't satisfactory enough to them. But those jobs are being filled with these migrants and the flood of illegal aliens who are coming over our southern border is just mind-boggling. We're talking about more than a million a year now. And you've seen the photos. I'm sure many of your audience has seen that. And a lot of those illegals are filling these jobs. There's some who are overstaying their visas or some who come into our schools and get the in-state tuition when everyone else or people who are out of state have to pay the much higher out-of-state tuition. And as a result, Americans are going without work, but the illegals are snatching up these jobs. And that's as the economy weakens here, Marilyn, this is a terrible situation where the scarce good jobs are going to illegals and Americans are having to sit at home out of work. Well, what about the line that they always say, well, they're just taking jobs Americans don't want or won't take? It, yeah, it's just not true. It, people who study that and look at the data show that illegals and also foreigners who are here on visas, on these workers' visas that are hundreds of thousands of these visas are extended to foreigners for jobs that are very good jobs that Americans want, such as in engineering, such as in California, Silicon Valley. I mean, Americans want these good jobs, but instead they're being filled with the, these workers' visas. And one example is American is Major League Baseball and how a surprising number of baseball players over the last 10 years are actually foreigners here on visas. Now, no say with a straight face that Americans would not like to have a job in Major League Baseball. That's about the easiest, best-paying job that someone can imagine. And yet they're being filled by foreigners on these worker visas, and Americans are being displaced and not able to get these very nice jobs. Well, it's kind of interesting you mentioned baseball and uh, a lot of the uh, what uh, what do you, I'm blocking on the word the digital artists are from foreign countries. Now, in America, you might say, well, we don't put enough emphasis on science, and which is true. And, and so maybe we don't have enough digital artists, but that's kind of hard to believe. But we certainly have enough American-born baseball players. You can't tell me that the Dominican Republic has some sort of a fix on being a good baseball player. Right. And so, But the American players who come up through Little League and the minor leagues or they play college, uh, they're finding there are not enough jobs in Major League Baseball for them. 
And instead, the owners prefer to take, bring in foreigners on visas. Now, why are these visas so attractive to business owners? Well, the reason is when a business, be it someone in Silicon Valley or someone who owns a major league baseball team, when they bring in a, a player on a visa, then they can typically pay that person less than what they would pay an American for that job. And typically there are strings attached such that if the employee tries to switch employers, then he may lose his visa and he may get deported back to his country. So it, it's sort of like the old uh, indentured servitude that colonial America had for a number of people where you come over and you're tied to your employer for a number of years before these servants could get their freedom. Of course, some could never get their freedom if it was slavery. But it, we're still using that system with these visas where we're bringing in these foreigners and they're tied to their employer for a number of years because they'll get sent back to their foreign country if they try to switch employers. So that way the employer can control the employee more. Whereas if it's an American, American, of course, is free to, to quit one employer and go work for another go into a startup company with his ideas and stuff. And it's better for our economy if employers have that freedom to move around and, and start new companies. But these visas that these employers are using stifle that and basically enriches Microsoft and Google and Facebook and those companies that essentially have a pool of workers that are tied to that employer and they're not really able to go to another employer. Well, you know, it's interesting because when you describe this sort of, and it really is an indentured servitude just with a 21st century patina on it, is it's the progressives that say, oh, that we're being kind to people and these people want to come here for a better life. But it's just like it's always been, these progressive ideas end up being the most repressive and hearkening back to practically pre-biblical days of master and serf. It, uh, it is, I just find it kind of interesting because everything's always cloaked in that idea that, oh no, we're being kind to people. And this is, oh, we're such good people. We're so virtuous. When in fact, just the opposite is true. That's exactly right, Maryland. I mean, these situations are not healthy for the worker who comes in. They're not healthy for our economy. The, the only reason we have these is because employers are enriching themselves by doing it. And employers try to gain control of employees and they bring in foreigners to control them. But it's not good for anybody else. So these visas should be eliminated. The border should be closed. And Americans should be welcomed into the good jobs that would then be available. But as it is now, while there's talk of lots of unfilled jobs, those are very low-paying jobs that it's very hard to survive on, and they're very stressful jobs while the good jobs are being picked up by foreigners. So that's the shame of our current immigration system. And as you mentioned at the outset, there's also the risk that uh, real enemies of the United States are slipping across the border 
uh, because Biden has is not monitoring the border at all. It's just letting anybody come in. And, and so there's a possibility that gang members are coming in or people who are terrorists are coming in across our border undetected. And they're plotting to do something in this country like what has just horribly happened in Israel. So there's that risk that's out there as well. Let me mention that Governor Abbott in Texas, who has not done very much to stem the flood of illegals over that border, he did put a thousand feet of orange buoys and some barbed wire fence in the middle of the Rio Grande. And the pictures of it are kind of funny to look at. It's only a thousand feet out of a border that's more than a thousand miles long. But that thousand feet is too much for the left, Marilyn, and they have sued to stop it. They got a district judge to order Abbott to remove the thousand feet of buoys, which is a barrier that goes up and down for the Rio Grande and in a particular section near Eagle Pass, where a lot of illegals were pouring across the Rio Grande River. And he was ordered to remove it by a district judge. They went up on appeal. They got a temporary stay of that removal. But the effect of the Biden administration's challenge to these buoys is that Abbott has not been able to extend the buoys. I mean, they should have been extended for miles and miles to prevent people from crossing the Rio Grande. Now, some people are drowning when they cross the Rio Grande there illegally. Marilyn, it's not good for the people who are crossing it either to to have this access. I've seen these stories and pictures, so it's not made up of the Border Patrol agents rescuing babies that they've shoved on and through and under these things. And uh, it's really, really sad to see this happening to people. And, and the idea that somehow we're doing something good for people, but letting them die in the desert or drown in a river some something doesn't compute there right security border security is needed both for our safety and for the safety of these people who are who are trying to cross in tragically and, and i understand it's just as bad if you go down in central america apparently there's some treacherous uh stretch called darien pass down in panama where it, it's unbelievably risky and dangerous for people to walk through this pass to try to come up through Panama and eventually get to the United States. And yet they're doing it anyway because their they're smugglers are getting paid to encourage people to do this. They're probably being told that this is the land of milk and honey. And once they get in, everything will be wonderful and probably being misled to do this. And so there they are, their families trying to cross this particular stretch of land in Panama that's uh, where a lot of people are perishing, tragically. Well, Costa Rica has a similar problem that we do because they have a good economy and they've got lots of pineapple fields that apparently pay reasonably to pick. And people from Nicaragua come in. And so down there, they talk about the Nicaraguans that cross the border. So, uh, you know, border crossings aren't something that's unique to the United States. And all governments who have a lick of sense worry about it. And I just wonder what happened to our good sense. It's I all I can do is shake my head. 
that I've been around long enough. And I remember when Reagan gave the amnesty and it's like, okay, we're going to give amnesty. Then it has to stop, you know, no more of this illegal immigration. And I feel like that was the beginning of the end. Right now, I'm going to talk about my old friend, Cofix RX. It's cold and flu season now. And even though Cofix RX, Cofix, it comes from COVID, it was invented during COVID, um, but it kills a lot of viruses and bacteria. And remembering that most of us get sick with these respiratory infections because we breathe these horrible germs up through our nose. And Cofix is a nasal spray. It's mostly iodine. It's got some xylitol. And both of these work against these germs. And it had been discovered pretty early on in COVID that iodine killed the COVID virus. And so it's gotten very popular. People are still using it, even though the COVID pandemic part is over. We still get colds and we'll get colds until man is still on this earth. So it's good to have this in your medicine chest. I use it after I've gone out to like a big box store, grocery shopping, somewhere where I'm around people. I'm not usually around. Give it a little squirt and uh, knock on wood. So far, so good this cold season. And the best part for me, it works. And it was invented in the USA and it's manufactured in the USA. So what could be better than that? Look at our button on our webpage and just click it on, read more about it and see if it's right for you. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout.
Okay, we were talking about a little private community of illegal aliens in Texas, and I found it fascinating. I hadn't heard about it. What was this called, Andy? It's called Colony Ridge, and it's just booming in population, going to zero to 100,000 people in the span of just a few years, building private roads, uh, as I said, private police officers patrolling communities and so on. And the accusation is they've attracted a lot of illegal aliens there, but the developer sort of denies that. He doesn't deny that they have illegal aliens, but he says there are illegal aliens everywhere in Texas. That's the the counter-argument. If you go to El Paso, you've got illegal aliens sleeping in the street in El Paso. And what's interesting about Colony Ridge is that they do have some free market approaches to some problems that because government has not developed there. So they've just filled in with private services uh, for uh, police and, and road building and things like that. Maybe garbage collection. I don't know. And they're using private services and they're basically growing by leaps and bounds with people who, who like the free market. And, and so it's a bit of a challenge to many of us who are opposed to all this illegal immigration, well, they come here, do we want them renting or do we want them to own some property while they're here? And at least they, they'll be more productive while they're here. And it, it doesn't, I don't think that really affects whether we're going to send them back one day. I guess some might say if they buy property, it's harder to deport them. I don't know if that's really true. I think, as you pointed out, Marilyn, it's pretty clear that if people own their own home and own property, they're going to be a lot more productive and you're going to have a lot less crime and there's going to be a lot more upkeep of the place than if everyone's just renting instead. And, you know, what's interesting is what whatever the initial motivation, if the government has its nose out of it, it seems to be working okay, and maybe we could all take a lesson and uh, get the government's nose out of a lot of things. The, and, and we'll probably talk more about that a little later in the show. But I want to ask you about something, you know, talking about these folks coming in. You went to Ivy League schools, and I see what they've devolved into now. When you were there, did they have these Confucius Institutes that brought Chinese people, which I'm sure we've, and I'm not saying all Chinese people are spies, so don't go around saying I said all Chinese people are spies. But as it turns out, many were spies that came through through the Confucius Institute. Did they have something like that when you were at the school? I don't remember that name, but the influx of Chinese into our schools is more of a recent development. Uh, when I was in law school, I did not see many Chinese students. Of course, the law is a little difficult for someone who doesn't have English as their first language. So I, I think there may be a bit of an impediment to Chinese students coming over here for law school. Engineering, it's a lot easier, and there were engineering students from China at Princeton when I was there, but a lot more today. That's really been a, a development in the last 10, 20 years 
I mean, I've been out of school longer than that. And I'll say part of it, Marilyn, is because these schools have gotten so expensive and these foreign countries can pay the money. So places, Ivy League schools and really all colleges welcome these foreign students because their governments will pay the money. So we've got foreign governments, particularly China, paying to send all these students over to our schools and the, the schools accept it. And there are visa programs just for students. There are all sorts of different types of visa programs. There are some just for students and they have no trouble getting visas as long as they're a student. And there have been some reports of, of terrible crimes that have occurred by some of these students they are coming into our culture from a different culture. And there there's suspicions that some of them may be spies and there's really no uh, monitoring of this. Uh, there's really no background check on these students who are coming over and someone's paying their way and they're not, they're, the person who's paying expects to get something in return. And what is it the Chinese government expects to get in return? That's, that's a little concerning, isn't it? Well, I think as we've seen how easy it is for ideologies to infiltrate the colleges. Look with all this whole wokeness that's going on now that these professors just didn't drop out of the sky. They've been developing over the years. And I wonder, you know, China wants their ideology really inculcated in, into our, our culture and, uh, I, I think it's happening. All these people who think communism is okay. I mean, and not just socialism, but communism. They'll say, oh, well, it's okay. Everybody's taken care of. They don't realize that's not true. That Cuba, the pictures they show you, it's a Potemkin village. And China, it's, it's like the first two blocks that the tourists see. You go in four blocks after what you see, then you see how people really live. And uh, I don't know what's wrong with these students. They're supposed to be so smart. That's how they got into these good schools. How can they be so dumb? Something about the, the peer pressure, Maryland, the, the, the hard work, the long hours, breaks these kids down and, and I, I would say almost brainwashes them tell you, I've taught a lot of teenagers, about 400 teenagers I taught about a dozen years ago, over a number of years. And when they, they were at the sort of the high school level and coming out of my classes, they, they were all very common sense oriented, uh, very logical, conservative and so on, religious values and stuff. But the correlation between the students who went to higher education and spent a number of years in a college and then a graduate school who then flipped to the left side and rejected everything their parents had taught them, everything they believed as teenagers and so on. And they went completely over to the other side, the, the wokeness, the, the communism, the, the, the rejection of, basic economics and stuff. It's a one-to-one -one correlation. Everybody who went through higher education flipped to the other side. People who I taught, people who were conservative when they were teenagers. And it, it's really astounding the effect that higher education has on the political views of young people. 
it's it's like a brainwashing and and it they get worn down by the long hours the hard work of course their professors are far left who have tenure and nobody can fire them and that's another interesting development Marilyn some of these states Iowa and Texas in particular have tried to pass laws whereby tenure would be abolished at their state universities and that's uh, that would be a great change, I think, in my opinion, to get rid of the tenure system at colleges. There are a few colleges that don't have tenure. Grove City in Pennsylvania doesn't have tenure. It's like you're a professor. Okay, you work like everybody else. We'll review what you did each year, and if, if you're not performing, you're going to be out, and we're going to replace you. And you get a much better set of teachers and a much more reasonable political ideology among professors that way than with this tenure system where it's well once you become a professor you got the job for the rest of your life no matter what you do no matter what you say and the professors who have tenure they seem to resent it themselves they seem to be resentful people themselves even though they have lifetime employment without ever having to work again well it's interesting because the whole idea started off as a positive as free speech where if the professor said something that the administration didn't agree with, he could go ahead and speak his mind without fear of being fired. But it seems to, just like so many other things, has has morphed into something kind of weird, just like with public school teachers, where if you're a bad teacher, you just stay in the system and continue to be a bad teacher or a teacher that's going overboard politically. I mean, I I went to Catholic school until 10th grade, so I can't speak about what the nuns, I mean, they weren't political at all. But I can't remember a single teacher talking politics when I was in high school. They taught us the subject that they were assigned to teach us, end of discussion. Yes. I mean, me too. Yeah. Yep. And now I my son used to substitute teach at a school and a high school that was an inner city high school and one of the teachers had a map on the wall and it had California on there and he had written across it stolen land. So, I mean, this, that was the history he was teaching his students. Yes, indeed. But yeah, <laughs> a high school student is not ready, really, to make political decisions. I mean, we don't allow students to vote until they're at least 18 years old. And even then, most of them don't vote. I mean, politics is, is something that is productive for people who have had a little bit of experience and who have held a job, or as you say, owned some property. If you go back 200 years, people were not allowed to vote unless they owned some property. Uh, because with that comes some, a perspective and some experience and some responsibility. And, and I'm not saying we return to that, but to talk politics with a bunch of high school kids uh, is really a waste of time. I mean, it's just you're not you're not really developing the mind of the student to talk politics, and because the kid has never had a job, he's never been married, 
he, he's never had kids generally. And, and it, it's just not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> but those political and plus it's so easy, Marilyn. I mean, we don't need to pay somebody a hundred thousand dollars a year with luxurious pensions and luxurious healthcare, which is what public school teachers often receive in order to chat politics with students. I mean, they're there to teach advanced topics of mathematics or science or Shakespeare or history. And some of them do. And certainly there are some good teachers out there, but for a teacher to come into class making that kind of money and, and just try to indoctrinate the kids with politics, that teacher should be fired. Well, unfortunately, not going to happen. I'm, <clears throat> I had an interesting thing. One of my patients, we were talking about the primaries, and in California, you have to be the political party to of the same party to vote in that primary. And she said, I'm a Democrat. And she was very conservative. She says, why are you a Democrat? She says, well, the representative from Congress came to our high school when I was a senior and they passed out voter registration cards and they were all pre-stamped Democrat. Wow. And I, exactly, you know, because you can get those. And, you know, so she filled out a registration and, and this was like 10 years later. And she said, you know, so I just, I was registered to vote, never changed it. And, yeah. uh, and, and that's another thing I think is so wrong when, I mean, civics class is wonderful. You know, you learn the basics of the government, how it works. I remember in my high school, the mayor came in and talked about city government and all that sort of thing. But again, I wouldn't have known what political party he was or anything um, other than my mother worked for the mayor for a while. But <laughs> um, it was the sort of thing where I you know, didn't get any political leanings one way or the other. It was just the basics of government. And, you know, then it's like, oh, then you get to see your city leader. And that was it. But now, no, there's a point of view being espoused in high school. And like you say, it, it's it's just wrong. It really is. And it's wonderful you had the mayor come in. I mean, there are a lot of good people in local government. Uh, I know in, in New York City, I had a meeting once with a, a, an aide to the the mayor whom somebody knew, and, and I went in, and I was so impressed by the guy. This was as an adult uh, that you you do have some people who actually work in city government, and they they keep order, and they keep try to keep the streets clean, and they try to keep things safe, and, and they, they keep the, the wheels of progress functioning. And thank God there are some good people there, but these political ideologues who come in and New York city has had some of the worst and, and they come in and they, they think that if they just say they're a liberal, that's all they have to do. And, and de Blasio, I mean, the guy was going to the gym every day and, and the city just, just declined under his reign. Uh, and it, it's it's a shame because there is real work to do and it can be rewarding work. And so I don't want to discourage anyone from going into government uh, because there are a lot of good things that need to be done. But 
I guess what I'm saying is that the bad apples need to be fired and we should have a system where it's easier to fire people right from the president right on down. It's shocking how the president can't really fire anybody. I mean, Trump went through this and, and it's just it's it's appalling how what is he? he one person, he fired uh, James Comey at the FBI and the, it seemed like the whole world came to an end. I mean, what what is this? You should be able to fire people. It's healthy for the institution. It's even healthy for the person being fired. The person being fired can sort of reassess what he was doing and, and how he can do a better job next time. Well, that's the point of being the CEO is you take over a company, i.e. our country, and you assess when you take it over and who's good and who's bad and who fits with your philosophy. And uh, uh, with Trump, he certainly tried keeping certain people on and uh, certain people didn't work out. But it's just like with a company, when they get a new president, certain heads are going to roll, certain people stay on because they were doing their job and it fit with the culture of the company. So, uh, yeah, the whole idea of people uh, keeping their job when they don't deserve it is it's bad and it certainly shouldn't be happening in schools when we have these young minds who are so impressionable and um, in my view, I, I'm just glad that my child has grown up because I don't know what I'd do if I were a parent of a school-age child now with all that's going on. Right. Now, After, there are oh, some, I'm sorry. We're, no, we're going to have to take a quick break, and we'll get back to this topic and uh, talk about some free speech and medicine and some actually we have a lot of foreign medical graduates which uh, is an interesting topic in medicine and always has been uh, given the changing landscape of medicine um it's i uh, i think these as they're called international medical medical graduates in one sense are saving medicine so we'll talk about that after the break. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It works. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced. These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, 
ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Before the break, I brought up the idea of um, international medical grads. When I was a resident, people talked about the foreign medical grads coming in and and some of them didn't have a good command of the English language. And it was almost sort of a negative. And now 25% of the million physicians around the country are international medical grads. And as we see the numbers of physicians dwindling as people retire and, uh, which is a whole nother thing, burnout, early retirement, et cetera, um, caused by many things. Um, the foreign medical graduate students, international students, are really taking up the slack. Have you seen that? I have. And it, there's a shortage of residencies, and, and some of these foreign medical grads are taking the residencies and so on, and it's... There's good and bad in that, Marilyn. I mean, it, it's, I, I don't know why we can't have Americans fill these positions. There are a lot of American students who want to be doctors who are not uh, given spots in medical schools. I think the acceptance rate at medical schools is down to about one or 2%. It's by far the hardest graduate school to get into now. And Americans are not getting in there. And, and a lot of Americans are being disappointed and Instead, we're bringing in foreign medical grads. But on the other hand, some of these foreign medical grads are bringing a, a fresh perspective and some independence where I see a lot of them being more courageous and standing up against the tyranny that we have in our country. And in some of the, the interference with their freedom of speech, sometimes a foreign medical grad is uh, more courageous in staring down a medical board or other censor of what he says, and they're willing to stand up more for their patients. So it's a mixed bag, I guess, of effect. Well, it's interesting you say that because in so many cases, it's like why Cubans tend to be conservative. They came from the glorious communist country that all these students are bowing down to. And some of these grads, I mean, Gee, I knew some Russian doctors, and and uh, there's we certainly have uh, a lot of Indian doctors. But if they're from a country where they're not used to having the kind of free speech that we have here, and freedom of movement, and et cetera, and and the autonomy, that they are much more, like you say, courageous and fierce in trying to protect the autonomy in medicine. And our students, maybe because of what we were talking about before, they've gotten so soft that they, it's like, okay, roll over me. I'm a sheep. And uh, I don't think that's what you want in your doctor. 
No, you want independence in your doctor. And I will say about the Indian doctors, of which there are many, and, and many are clients of mine and so on, they, they have religious beliefs that, that sometimes seem to give them an enormous amount of strength that is sometimes lacking in the rest of us, where they believe in reincarnation. And I, I've seen Hindu doctors who... Um, they don't flinch when they're threatened with 30 years in prison or something that, that doesn't phase them one bit. They're remarkably courageous. They're peaceful. Generally Hinduism is a generally peaceful value system, uh, but with its reincarnation, they just say, well, okay, that's, that's what we'll do for this life, but I'll, uh, I'll have a better one next time. I'll have a better life next time. So, <laughs> uh, you know, a little humorous, but I'm being respectful as well. And I admire, the courage of many Hindu doctors when they're presented with the intimidation that all doctors face today, Marilyn, tremendous intimidation by medical boards, by prosecutors, by insurance companies, by specialty boards. And uh, some of the greatest courage comes from some of these foreign doctors. Well, I tell you, we've seen it, and uh, certainly at AAPS, one of the things we help people with are when they're attacked by medical boards or attacked by their hospital, because they do speak out and they do advocate for the patient, or actually, sometimes it's out of jealousy because they're more popular and have more patients and are doing more surgeries than uh, the what the golden boys who've been on the staff for years. So that's one of the things we help and why we've met some of doctors face-to-face who've really been treated rather poorly, even though they're very good doctors. And um, free speech in medicine is so important. I, and I think patients realize too, when they go to the doctor, they want to be able to have one and foremost privacy and they want the doctor to be honest with them. They want to know everything about their condition. And um, saying this, it reminds me of what just went on. And I think we've talked about this before in again, California, but remember as California goes, so goes the nation. AB 2098, which was the anti-free speech for doctors bill that had passed, um, was going to possibly take away a doctor's license if he gave so-called misinformation about COVID. And lawsuits came up because it was vague. Nobody said what the misinformation was. Even a judge says the definition is pretty weird and um, doesn't even make grammatical sense. And uh, doctors, some were so intimidated that they even, they even had told their patients, I'm not going to discuss this with you. Well, this is not how you practice medicine. And this is not a way to engender trust in a doctor and trust in the medical field overall. So we had some good news about 2098 quite quietly. It was repealed. Had you heard about that back here on the East Coast? 
<laughs> it was not publicized, Marilyn. It was done very quietly, as you say, and I had to search for it to find confirmation of it that Newsom did this, and indeed he did sign the repeal into law. I'm looking at this terrible law that passed a few years ago where it was misinformation that they defined as false information that is contradicted by contemporary scientific consensus contrary to the standard of care. And as you say, that's grammatically incorrect, which is what a judge later found. It's hard to follow. But basically what this law did was it said a doctor could lose his license if he's honest with a patient about something that the authorities or the scientific consensus is uh, feels differently about. But if the doctor gives honest advice to the patient, he can lose his license over that. That's what AB 2098 was doing. And it was just shockingly oppressive and censorship in its worst form. As you say, a doctor needs to be able to be honest with his patient. There's so many things in medicine that were once considered uh, to be bad medicine, and now they're considered to be good medicine. <laughs> that happens so often, and doctors need to be able to be candid with their patients of what they feel is good for that patient. The other thing is it's not always one size fits all either. Uh, it may be that for most patients, a particular course of treatment is ideal, but for this particular patient, it's not ideal. Maybe this particular patient has an allergy to what is usually prescribed or usually done. Or maybe this particular patient is not going to take the prescribed medication that the authorities want prescribed. And you can prescribe it, but the patient's not going to take it. Well, in that case, the advice needs to be different from what the standard of care or the conventional wisdom is. And well, that's so, what's fortunately, so funny Newsom, about that. Yeah, Just sorry to interrupt, but you know, when you talk about what's good for one patient, not another, or whatever, one of the things that's left out in in that law and many others is the fact that the doctor knows the patient. Good doctors know their patient, know their family, know, like you said, well, we know old Joey's not going to take that medicine. So what route can we take to get Joey well? And that's isn't the end point, getting Joey well. And you do it in whatever way is necessary. Right. And, and this has come up in medical board hearings. There was one in the last couple of months where the medical board was going to discipline a doctor for not prescribing a particular medication for COVID. And the reality was that that patient was not going to take that medication. So what's the sense in prescribing it if the patient's not going to take it? That's just a waste of time and money, and it could cost the patient the patient's life. So you have to prescribe what the patient is willing to take. And so sometimes people forget that, Marilyn, that it's ultimately going to be up to the patient. What the patient does, what surgery the patient has, what medication the patient that's ultimately up to the patient, not to some bureaucrat sitting in Washington, D.C., <laughs> Well, but somehow, you know, it's kind of funny, and I'm 
glad we're talking about it. And you hear us saying the patient, the patient, the patient, that in so many of these laws and regulations, they're allegedly for patient safety or patient care or whatever. But when you dissect it out and parse it out, it's not for the patient. It's for the ease of bureaucracy. And people forget that. And all it seems like all a politician has to do is say, oh, it's for health and safety, dot, dot, dot. And then suddenly it makes whatever the regulation is okay. But it's not for health and safety. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it's, 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 it's a power grab. It is. And most people don't know that the bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., at the FDA and the NIH, a lot of them have their own financial interests in recommending certain patented medications or vaccines. Uh, some of those patents have royalties that flow back to the bureaucrats there in the federal government. So when something comes out from these federal agencies and it sounds so authoritarian, what's not always disclosed is that there's some royalties that are flowing behind the scenes to some of the bureaucrats who are making the decisions. And oftentimes it's an inexpensive generic drug that's been out on the market for decades that people, millions of people have taken without side effects. That may be the best medication for many patients. Cheaper, its safety is better understood, and doctors can tell firsthand what patients those medications will work in, and they should be able to prescribe that without having to risk the loss of their license. Well, the thing that's interesting, you know, you talk about uh, some of the royalties, what about as opensecrets.org? And I urge people to look some of this stuff up. It's an easy website to navigate, opensecrets.org. They talk about where the money flows in Congress. And when you look at the pharmaceutical companies giving millions, I'm talking $92 million last time I looked, to both sides of the aisle, and so we have pharmaceutical companies, and trust me, they have come up with some amazing drugs and amazing inventions, but sometimes the drugs aren't the answer. It's like all this new push for exercise. Exercise has been around since humans were first put on this earth, and they're finding out it's good for so many diseases and sometimes eliminates the need for medicine. Yet on some of these exams, cardiology is one that a lot of people have complained about where the correct answer is always a drug. But that's not always true for all patients. Right. So, and so we need a system where physicians are free to prescribe what they think will work for a particular patient and not be constrained by standards and not risk a loss of their medical license if somebody feels that that was not the recommended treatment. We had a big win in a court case, Marilyn, in the time we have left, I want to mention, where the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit uh, ruled against the FDA 
for overstepping its authority and trying to dictate that ivermectin was not appropriate for COVID patients when that's not the FDA's job. That's the job of physicians who are licensed to practice medicine. And yet there was the FDA overstepping its uh, proper authority, going outside of its lane to tell people not to use ivermectin for COVID. Now they say they never really said that, but they, they sure came close to saying it and, and their statements understood it's saying that. And as I pointed out to the court, there were many courts around the country that relied on the FDA to then block the use of ivermectin for COVID patients. So that was just completely inappropriate. Ivermectin was approved as a drug decades ago. It's been used by tens of millions of people without any harmful side effects. I mean, there may be some harmful side effects, but many millions have used it safely. And it's for the physician to make that decision, not the federal government. Well, we can't end that wonderful victory without telling the exact words. And I know some of the listeners saw the commercial on TV where the FDA or the government put out this commercial and they put out print ads that said, you are not a horse. And they talked about ivermectin being a horse medicine, which it wasn't. I mean, yes, you can give it to horses, but they, humans have been taking it for many, many years. And so the judge in the case and his, his uh, uh, summary when he gave his opinion told the FDA, you are not a doctor. <laughs> I just thought that was beautiful. <laughs> yes. So for all us not horses, (laughs) that was a great win for free speech. And our win for free speech is having Andy here again. And please, will you promise to come back? Oh, absolutely. I learned so much on your show, Marilyn. You're you're doing such a great service to the public. and, And I encourage all the listeners out there to tune in and and as I will to hear what Marilyn says about each of the new issues that arise on the horizon. Well, boy, back at you. We always learn so much from you. And as I always say, whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. Thanks again for listening. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.